really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As you all surely know by now, I am David Lawrence, an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just email me at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So today, we have yet another lovely bonus episode, and I am pleased as punch to welcome back for his, I'm pretty sure, third appearance on the show, the man who is still currently on the run from the long arm of the Sheriff of Nottingham, the inimitable, the brilliant, the lovely, Will Owen. Will, welcome back to the Scrum of the Earth. It's been about five and a half months, and I have to say we've missed you here on the show. Thank you. I've missed it likewise. Uh, I'm also pleased as punch to be back here. Thank you for, thank you for asking me to come back. It's my pleasure. Um, so are you still trying to figure out how to spend all the cold, hard cash you've been no doubt been raking in ever since your last appearance on my show? Yeah, absolutely. It looks like you've been using that extra scratch to go gallivanting off to music festivals all, all summer long. Do you have a, a favorite moment from this summer uh, yeah. on what I assume you're calling your Scrum of the Earth concert tour? Yeah, yeah, that is that's what I've been telling everyone. The only reason why I've been going to so many festivals, and I've been to a lot, uh, is just to try and spread the word of Scrum of the, Scrum of the Earth. Yeah. That's the only reason. In terms of a highlight, I mean, I saw Paul McCartney at Glastonbury, which was pretty incredible. Oh, um, wow. That was, that was amazing. I waited like five hours or something down the front, um, which was worth it. Uh, and then, Jeez. yeah, he, he, then Paul McCartney came on and was did some songs. Some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know. And that was, uh, you know, that was kind of the way the way it went. Um, Paul McCartney was amazing. Saw Kendrick Lamar the same weekend as well. Oh, uh, wow. I absolutely love. Um, yeah, a lot of highlights stand out. That's awesome. Uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, I'm, I'm a big fan of his too, though. I, I admit mm. I discovered him because of having a small child who, with whom I watched the Despicable Me movies. <laughs> Look, that's how he gets most of his demographic these days. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the Venn diagram of Kendrick Lamar fans and Despicable Me fans is just a circle. <laughs> uh, I love Kendrick Lamar. I'm seeing him again next month, which I'm very excited for. Um, oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this. And also, I mean, there's, um, I don't know if, I don't think they're massive in the US, but I very regularly see a very band in the UK called Foles, who I've now seen like upwards of 10 times. Um, wow. And they were the other sort of highlight who I've, yeah, seen a lot in the summer. So, um, no, yeah, I don't think, I don't they, think they're, they, big, they're big in the US, but. Well, the, it doesn't ring a bell with me, but that tells you almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, you've got, you've, exactly got, you've got Kendrick Lamar down. So that's, hey, that's yeah, what matters. Yeah. <laughs> so, Will, my friend, it is super great to see you again today. Um, we're going to go in a bit of a different direction from our previous chats because there is a global event right around the corner. In fact, it kicks off in only about 72 hours or maybe less. Um, I'll let you just tell, uh, tell us what have you been buried in for the last month or so? Yes. So um, in the last sort of six months or so, uh, Kendrick Lamar released an album called Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, and he's starting his tour very soon. Um, mm. and, you know, he's going to be playing a lot of the songs from that. And basically, my plan is to just um, uh, 
I can't, I can't, I couldn't think of like a job that he could feasibly be giving me there. Um, his mic checker, maybe. Hey, yeah. You, uh, you know your AV stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, uh, so the, the, the Rugby World Cup, um, speci- specifically the Women's Rugby World Cup, uh, which I'm very excited for. As you say, I have been knee-deep in sort of uh, doing stuff for the Squidge channel for it and so on, uh, which has been super, super exciting. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I've kind of um, enjoyed watching, a lot of stuff that I've learned as well, which has been great. Um, and there's a lot of players who I've kind of recently gotten to know, and I'm really excited mm. to see more of them and kind of how they stand up in World Cups because it's one thing that I've always had with men's World Cup. This is obviously the most invest I've ever been in a women's World Cup. It's always been a thing that I've had with men's World Cups when there's a player that you kind of know and then they really shine come World Cups, and that's something yep. I'm really excited for. Oh, good. Well, I have questions about that very thing. Yeah. Um, so unsurprisingly, you and your brother, Robbie, a.k.a. Squidge, like you say, have been working on a series of preview videos. Mm. I saw the first one that came out. I, I, it's, I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. I see another one just came out a couple of hours ago while I was at work. So I haven't seen that one yet. Um, with all the time that you're both spending indoors sort of staring at screens, which of, which of you is pastier at the moment? Uh, have either of you been contacted about becoming an honorary member of Depeche Mode? <laughs> hey they announced the tour this morning as well so um you know I, I could i could worm my way into that if kendrick fires me in the next two months mm. yeah, that, that's right you can always count on timely up-to-date pop culture references here on the scrum of the earth depeche mode was indeed. The, the way i went <laughs> indeed but you know when it when it comes to uh you know the screen time when it comes to making these videos i just can't get enough mm. uh so this year, because it was postponed, we'll have the 2021 Rugby World Cup kicking off this very weekend down in the Aotearoa. So out of the eight World Cups we've already seen, the Black Ferns have won five of them. England have won two. Can you name the other champion? Well, I certainly can. It is the United States of America. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to hear somebody from another country say it out loud. <laughs> hey, congratulations. You're the first ever champions, I believe. Yes, indeed. It won the first one and came in second in the next two. Which is a lot better than Wales have done. So you've got bragging rights over me here. Plus, we have that Olympic thing, which is going to stand forever. Very since true. 15s will never be back in the Olympics. So can't take very that true. away from us. Yeah, very true. <laughs> so, of course, this time around, as you well know, the tournament is going to feature 12 nations. Can you name all 12 of those without looking at your list? I certainly can. So uh, we'll go... We'll look at European first. So England, Wales, Scotland, Italy, France. No Ireland this year, unfortunately. Uh, so that's what five. Uh, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, uh, Japan, Fiji. Who's the other two? Um, I should remember this a little bit better. USA. <laughs> should have really, yep. really remembered that one. And Canada, and our, of our, course. Our neighbors to the north. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so here's a question which you might actually not know, which I think would be a, a first on this show. <laughs> um, when you look at that list and you compare it with the current world rankings, so 10 of those 12 teams are, or 10 of the top 12 teams are all represented. But as you just mentioned, the eighth ranked team, Ireland, they aren't there. The 12th ranked team, Spain, they are not there. Mm. In fact, nations ranked from 12 to 20 are all absent, with Fiji, who will participate, currently at 21. So how did that happen? You know, I'm always happy to see Fiji play, men's or women's. But if, if I was a fan of, I don't know, Kazakhstan, I might be like, hey, what gives? 
to, to be honest, yeah, you're correct. I do not know the answer to that question definitively. I remember Kazakhstan have been at the, the World Cup a few times before yep. uh, in, in recent years. So I'm not really sure what the kind of system is with that. But what I do know is that come the 2025 World Cup, I believe they're looking to expand uh, oh. and hopefully have, I think they're looking to 16 teams being the, the target for there. And then, you know, from there on out, they can potentially get it to 20, you would hope to oh, wow. mirror the men's tournament uh, if that's not obviously moved on by that point but as the the game's growing i think that's a great thing to see because spain are a great team ireland are a great team um so as the game grows you would hope that we can have that so we can ha you know mm. if there are good teams not at the tournament it's frustrating so yeah well 2002 was the last time that there were 16 teams rather than 12. Um, oh. I was going to ask, do you prefer this current format? Um, it sounds like you're with me. You, you'd like to see it expanded more. Certainly, certainly. I think that my favorite thing about World Cups generally is learning new players and that kind the of thing. running onto the pitch. Yeah, the dogs running onto the pitch is certainly my favorite, favorite part of World Cups. But on the presumption that because the annoying thing about World Cups is there are games where dogs aren't on the pitch, and that frustrates me. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's 2022. Can we get that right? Yeah, I know. That's the one thing. I'll, look, when people say like rugby was better in the old days, that is what they mean exclusively. <laughs> but yeah, I, so my, my favorite thing about watching World Cups, especially with this, so all the kickoff times are going to be about three o'clock in the morning over here in the mm. UK. Um, and so I, I think that typically because they're doing them uh, staggered in a day, so it'd be kind of 3 a.m., 5 a.m., 7 a.m., or something to that effect. Uh, and that perfectly mirrors the 2011 World Cup, which was the first World Cup I watched live. Uh, and mm. for that, I got up and watched every single game, and I'm planning to do the exact same this time round. And there's a real sense of nostalgia, as we have done the podcast on 2011, which was the reason why we did that, was because of said nostalgia of waking up, learning new players, and going like, Oh yeah, this kid's mental. You know, the, the first one I ever remember was Tynes Kotzer, who was a Namibian fly half, who dropped three goals the, it, within the first fifteen minutes of me ever watching him play. And I thought, oh my, oh my god, that's amazing. Like stuff like that, and that's why I would be an advocate for more teams when they are ready joining the the women's tournament, so we can learn these new players and we can see them express themselves in this kind of way at the top of the game. Uh, you know, the highest standard of rugby a lot of these players will ever play in. And I love it. I love yeah, the more the merrier. Everyone should play in the World Cup. Well, the uh, it's funny too because I've got much less experience watching rugby than you do, and that feeling of when you spot somebody and you're like, oh wait, that player is something special, and then over the next several years, yeah. you see that person just get better. You're like, I did it! I spotted him. <laughs> <laughs> it is fantastic. It's it's a great fit. As I say, World Cups are the prime time to do that as well. Because they're mm. doing it on the world stage. Obviously, everybody is really, really body on the line, trying their hardest. And yeah, you see players expressing themselves in ways you've never seen before. And whether it is like a 17-year-old kid for quite a big nation or somebody who's in their mid-20s who you've just never seen because they're not playing professionally or in a league that you would watch. Right, it's exactly. so satisfying. Yeah, seeing seeing players that, that you, you can see something in and you can develop like kind of like a relationship with with um that player of like what you like about them you know mm. it's but this is the first season i've ever been able to watch the top 14 and mm. it's like it's like i found the missing persons closet or something i'm like yeah. somebody stopped playing for new zealand two years ago and i haven't seen them since and then i'm like oh there he is oh oh there's that guy it's it's great 
Yeah, that thing when you flick on top 14 highlights, you go like, oh yeah, Charlie Famoina, he's still about, isn't he? Yeah. You know, I'm like, Rekka, of course he scored a hat trick, yes. of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's like a lot of kind of fringe French players in the top 14, because the, the French men's team are obviously basically the best team in the world at this point. And so you Ooh. look at the players who can't make that team, and you go like, oh my God, you're incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's so many of them, yeah. So, Will, you've been down this particular rabbit hole for several weeks now. Um, what are you most looking forward to from the pool stages? Oh, I mean, naturally, when you when you say that to me, I naturally think of obviously Wales. They are my team, team I support. Um, and so we've got in our pool, New Zealand, Australia and Scotland. So it's not an easy pool cake. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you say looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to Wales against Scotland on Sunday because I am going to be uh, terrified of the result of that because that's Wales' biggest game. Uh, I believe that Johan Cunningham, head coach, has sort of said if we win that and we win that potentially with a bonus point, which I daren't even say because I'm not confident we'll win it considering how lucky we got in the Six Nations against Scotland. Um, th that's, that worries me. That's potentially something that we're looking at and potentially looking to target that. Um, because New Zealand and Australia will not be easy games, uh, particularly no. the Black Ferns um, are, aside from England and potentially France, the favourites for the tournament. Australia have completely rebuilt, but have a really talented, but kind of inexperienced, youthful squad. So they're quite an unknown quantity. So I have no idea what to expect from them. So in terms of that pool, um, there's a lot going on. Some of this excites me and some of it really doesn't. <laughs> so I was, you know, looking through the pools and I was looking through the rankings and I have to admit somehow I completely didn't notice that Canada are ranked third in the world right now. Do you think that's accurate given the way France have been performing? It, it, I feel like it can't be right. Uh, third or fourth. Yeah. I, I, as you say, France, the Blackfoot, England are obviously number one. There's no losing sight of that. I personally would probably say that, France and the Black Ferns are probably the next two in line. But that said, we've not seen Canada really tested much against those kind of oppositions. So mm. uh, it's really difficult to tell. I think that uh, Canada have to be the favourites to top their group, given you know that they're, they're a fantastic team. But if they get out of that, I'm really, really excited to see how they fare against the top teams in the world and see just how far they can go. Um, because as I say, they're they're a fantastic team. They've, I mean, they've got um, Alexandra Tessier is currently one of my favourite players to watch in the world, and mm. uh, who I think is potentially going to be one of those players who can really go toe to toe with the world class players. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see where Canada can go when, if and when they get out of the pool. So. If there is an upset in the pool stages, and I, I, I'm a little bit worried, I have a feeling that you and your brother just covered this in the, in the video that came out two hours ago. Um, if there is an upset in the pool stages, it's almost certainly going to come from pool B, right? Like that pool has teams ranked third, fifth, sixth, and 13th, and doesn't feature the, the sort of the big three, England, New Zealand, and France, as you say. Do you see any possible upsets before we get to the knockout stages? It's a great question because... Obviously, it can be difficult to define what is an upset in this tournament because mm. 
sometimes the rankings can be quite erratic, I suppose, with the way things are at the minute. And a lot of teams have had games cancelled because of COVID and not been able to play for a while. So there's a lot of teams where we don't quite know where they're at. Um, USA, it's in that pool with Canada, as you say, um, are a team who have always had, as we've already alluded to, a really strong women's rugby team. Um, because And they're in a position where if they beat Canada, which I don't think will happen, but it won't be revered as, oh, this is one of the biggest upsets in the history of the game, even though it probably should be. Um, but equally, you could see them potentially losing to Italy, uh, who, who, you know, Italy are kind of a bit of, a bit of an up-and-comer. I don't necessarily expect them to beat uh, the USA. Or indeed Japan, um, who are an exciting team with a huge forward pack um, and a couple of exciting playmakers in the backs. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's difficult to tell. As you say, that is the most unpredictable pool, uh, pool mm-hmm. is because, and in a way, it's the most exciting because there's an, a lot of fixtures which could potentially be evenly matched, but also could be runaways by, by one team. So it's difficult to know. So if you would, could you give us just a, a handful of players to watch? Um, so I'm thinking about the veterans that we know can perform at this stage and that we're expecting to continue to, to you know, really shine under the spotlight. Um, for instance, th- this is supposed to be the last hurrah for Kendrick Coxage, who has been a mm. titan of the game. Um, who are some other veterans that you see putting in great performances? Oh, I mean, K- Kendrick Cox, as, as you say, has been one of the, the greatest players that the world has ever seen in uh, in women's rugby and rugby generally. Um, so she's, she's certainly one person that I'll definitely keep an eye out for. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else from the from the Black Ferns that I mean I guess that you've got um, Rennie Wycliffe is somebody who's been around for quite a while. There's oh, okay. Um, I'm I'm also thinking about it's obviously England uh, going as as as, as favourites and so on, but they've left out interesting in, interestingly Mo Hunt Natasha Hunt who played in the 2014 final and won it there and the 2017 uh, tournament where they didn't win oh, they, I, they I, lost out to New Zealand. I hadn't clocked that. Wow. wow. Yeah. So she's been left out of the squad, uh, the scrum half, who's also, she's one of my favorite players. I love Mo Hunt, but they still do have kind of the core of the experienced players in there. So they've got Sarah Hunter, who I think is, is approaching the all time cap record for any rugby mm. player ever, uh, who's England's captain, who often ends up dropping to the bench, but is still the best leader. So I recently watched this, uh, where the Rose documentary that went out on ITV, um, oh yes, fantastic! But because that thing at... blew up, yes, <laughs> it was like yeah. there's nothing, and then it's everywhere. Everyone is talking yeah. about it. It's great. You look at Sarah Hunter, and you question: Is she one of the best 23 players in England? Probably not. Is she the best captain England have ever produced? Absolutely. So oh. she has to at least be on the bench, you know, because. If England are three points down, she's exactly the person you want coming on. So there's, there's is she, no. Is she the Ellen Wynn Jones of that team? I guess she is. I guess she is. Yeah. Um, or I, I suppose it's probably more the other way around. The Ellen Wynn Jones <laughs> is the Sarah Hunter <laughs> of Wales. Um, considering, I, I, well, I guess Sarah Hunter probably has slightly fewer caps than Alan Wynn Jones, but they've both got approximately one thousand each. So yeah, yeah but. So they've got Sarah Hunter, England. I think England are the perfect mix of experience and youth. 
that they've got the Sarah Hunters, they've got the Amy Cocaines, who's very experienced. They've got Emily Scarra, obviously a name that oh, doesn't yes. need introducing. And then, like again, I mentioned Mo Hunt's been left out, but uh, that I think that shows kind of the caliber of experience they still have. They can afford mm. to leave somebody like that out. Uh, they've got like, Abby Ward played in the uh, World Cup final in 2017 as well. You know, they've got a lot of players who did go through that, um, and a lot of players who are. I hasten to say up and coming because they're playing for the best team in the world, but <laughs> they're up you know what here. I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so apart from the, the, the wily veterans, can you give us a few players who you've sort of discovered in your research in, over the last several weeks, players who might be on the international stage for the very first time, who you still kind of expect some big things from? Sure. A lot of these, the players that I've kind of learned of recently have been from the, I hasten to say it, but lower down nations. So um, I recently discovered that Fiji have uh, Asinate Serevi playing for them in the second row, which is a familiar name because she is the daughter of Waisali Serevi, arguably the greatest rugby sevens player of all time, um, which really excites me. And obviously... Her name stuck out to me, and I'm sure she probably hates the constant comparisons to her dad. Mm. But immediately, she plays second row, which is a bizarre thing in itself. Um, but I looked wow. at her, and naturally, her name stood out to me. And I was like, right, I'm going to microanalyze absolutely everything she does, every <laughs> pass she throws. And honestly, her skill set is phenomenal. Um, yeah, she she's somebody who really, really excites me. Um, with... Uh, Japan, there's they've got uh, Minori Yamamoto, who plays for Worcester in the Premier 15s, who's an exciting player, but uh, kind of tussling for the 10 jersey, they have a player called Ayasa Otsuka, um, who scored for them against Ireland, I believe, in the summer. Um, yeah, no, back, both Ireland and South Africa in the summer, um, if I remember correctly. But she's a really exciting player. She can pass the ball from like one length of the field to the other, uh, and is a good kicker as well. So they've got two really good fly halves there. And to say that, ironically, Japan's backline probably isn't their main selling point. Um, she's a player who really, really excites me, uh, Otsuka. So I'm curious, which teams slash nations, I guess, do you think will benefit the most, their programs will benefit the most just from having the experience of playing in an event this huge? Maybe a team or teams that you're not even sure are going to make it out of the pool stages. Uh, I, to be honest, I, I think that the team that will benefit most from knowing how to yeah, play in a competition like this probably is the Black Ferns. Uh, I, and I would, I would actually argue that you know, more so than, than in England or so on. England obviously know how to win literally anything is uh, <clears throat> is kind of the obvious line to take with them. But with, with the Black Ferns, they've won World Cups before. I think naturally any New Zealand team will go into any Rugby World Cup with a level of pressure on them um, and a level of expectation. But And I might be completely wrong on this, right? But I feel like they have... If not the players, they certainly have the coaches who have the temperament to go through that because they've recently brought in Wayne Smith, who is one right. of the greatest coaches that Rugby Union has ever produced. Um, like he's literally too good a coach. He's flipped between attack and defence because his attack is so good. No one knows how to defend it. So he now needs to invent a defence that can stop his own attack. That's how good a coach he is. 
and he's brought in a guy by the name of Dan Carter to do the kicking coaching as well. Who, yeah, like obviously doesn't have the coaching credentials yet, but he knows how to win a World Cup. He has done that before. He has got man of the match in a final before. He he can certainly pass on a few messages which would extend a little bit beyond the whole kicking technique thing. So I just feel like it's in the it's in the New Zealanders' blood to know how to compete in these tournaments. Uh, so I've heard that a lot of times, so maybe this is totally untrue. Um, mm. I've heard a lot of times when a team has a quote-unquote kicking coach, that coach is not really there spending all day talking to you about kicking. They're really more like an experienced person, a morale person, a motivation person. Is that why Dan Carter's there more from the this is what you do with your foot kind of stuff? It's, a, it's an interesting point because I imagine that's probably a big part of it because – Dan Carter is probably in there as much as a name as anything else. You know, yeah. like everybody else goes like, oh, wait, they've got Dan Carter in their ranks. Naturally, it rings a few alarm bells, doesn't it? I think, I think you are right that uh, he probably is there for a bit more than, uh, as you say, this is where you put your foot. It's, it's really difficult to tell. I think that it's a, it's a question that I'll have a much better answer for after we see where the, the Black Ferns finish in this tournament. But... Uh, yeah, like Wales have had Neil Jenkins, who uh, in the men's team that is, uh, and that's naturally the one that I, I look to as a kicking coach because um, he's there a because he clearly loves kicking goals. But then again, like you think about it, he's gone on British Lions, British Lions tours, and you know won championships before and stuff, and is an extremely experienced player who was thought of as somebody who can go to toe to toe with the best. So. I don't know if that's something they see in Dan Carter. It's an interesting thought. So I almost hate to ask, are hmm. you at all worried about the finals being up against the autumn internationals? The, the third and fourth place match and the actual final will both be on a day when France men's will be, are going to be playing the Springboks in Marseille. Are you worried about viewership dropping off over the last couple of weekends? It's... I'm worried from a work perspective. I'm going to be really, really busy for those two weeks. <laughs> I can tell you that much. But yes and no. I think that in a way, it's a good thing that the time zones will be completely different. So yep. there's no kind of question of a clash between the two. And you would hope that particularly, say, France or one of the teams you mentioned made the final, that it would be a bigger deal. But you are right that there's always that thing to overshadow it. So it's difficult to tell at this point. I really, really hope not. Uh, I think that generally it should always be the priority that the World Cup semis and finals should always take priority. But not everybody's kind of reached that point yet. And, you know, in a completely understandable way. Uh, mm. Who knows? Maybe in a few years' time when these tournaments are being held at Twickenham, that could help. I, I know we're at Eden Park, but point being for the Northern Hemisphere viewership, that they will be a bit more tuned into that. But it's difficult to tell. Um, I, mean, I guess it rugby, depends where in the, the world you are. The rugby calendar is so jammed year-round nowadays. It's, it's like with a tournament that takes this many weeks, there's pretty much nowhere to place it that you're not going to be up against some other sort of popular match, I would think. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it's. I really, really hope that the final does get the... And, and the semis and the quarters and everything else do get the... Uh, attention that they deserve because if not it will be a real shame because it is much more interesting to see who the best teams are in the world in the women's game than just 
what is essentially, and there is more to it than this, but it's essentially a friendly in the men's game. I know that France Ooh. against the Springboks is essentially the same thing, but there's nothing on the line. Uh, it's, right. It's basically up like a trial run for next year in the World Cup if those two did face each other in the quarterfinals. But that's an if. We don't know that yeah. for certain. I do wonder, I feel like we're going to see some unexpected lineups in the Autumn Internationals this year as the sort of last hurrah before that World Cup when people like really finding out how deep they are and stuff like that. Anyway, yes. um, my only other sort of, I guess, devil's advocate question is, if the tournament goes pretty much how everybody seems to be predicting it right now, and the English just tear through the competition, is it still good for the game? I would say yes. Uh, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to say no, because it's England winning something. And naturally, me being a Welsh fan never thinks it's a good thing for England to win anything. But I would say, objectively, the answer to what you just asked is yes, because... England are the team who have invested most and earliest in women's rugby and have straight away gone, right, we're going to try and fully professionalise the team, give them whatever they need, give them a really, really good setup and really good facilities. And it's obviously paid off that they've immediately, after, or not immediately, but after investing in them, not too long afterwards, they have not only become a brilliant team, but absolutely dominated everybody else. And I think if they win this World Cup, that will then kick everyone else into gear and everyone will go, you know what? We need to be doing what they're doing. Oh. Uh, Wales have done it so uh, recently, so it's going to take quite a while for the fruits of that to come through. But Wales have looked at it and gone, right, England have, I think maybe it's 33 fully full-time professional players. And literally, and this is not, jo- not joking, they've gone, right, we're going to have 34 and then they have one more fully professional player than England do. Now. I love that. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, there's a really like funny, spiteful nature to that, I think. And, you know, <laughs> Wales can never accept that England is better than them at something. But um, I, I do think it would be good for the game if, even if we do see England storming every game by 50 points, because it will, it will pave the way for everybody else to fully professionalise their teams, put some serious funding into the game and really get genuinely great players out of it because it is frustrating when you see a tournament and there is a player playing at international level and you go, Oh, that player could be slightly better. You know, Mm. it's frustrating or like you go like, Oh, that's a great player. But if only they weren't having to go to work eight hours a day and then train for a couple of hours after that, if only they could get up and have proper conditioning proper recovery and everything and be properly treated like an international athlete that they are. Um, and if, if there were everybody playing in the world cup was in that position, then it would be a much better tournament. It would be much better sport. I think that's a great point. It's almost like if, if England romp, it'll be like, see, there's the proof. This is how you do that. And then teams will, or nations might feel obligated to actually put a little more oomph into their programs. That's a great point. Yeah, 100%. And I, as I say, I think that the Six Nations teams have cottoned onto that because they're probably sick of getting pumped by England every year. So, like, you know, Italy have started professionalising teams. France did, you know, um, a while back. As I say, Wales have now done that. Ireland are slowly getting there. The IRFU haven't been saints about all of this the whole way through, but it seems like they're getting there and progress is progress. But, yeah, you'd hope that everybody else will follow suit in the World Cup. 
And Scotland has done something to follow suit, but sort of controversially, if I remember. Uh, it, it sounded like they sort of said, hey, everybody, we're also professional. And a lot of people said, well, are you? Is that really what you're yeah. doing? Yeah. Scotland is quite a difficult team to talk about at the moment for various reasons. As you say, like they've done certain, put certain things in place for women's rugby. I think that generally the consensus, and I don't know about this, obviously not being part of the kind of system, the, the, cons the consensus is that they could do more. Uh, and there's maybe some things that we don't know about. There's the whole situation that's happened with Siobhan Cattigan, who recently oh, died gosh. because of yeah something that happened on the rugby field. And it seems like the SRU have been, um, yeah, haven't handled that well at all. Well, um, after they said, we're looking into it, there's been a deafening silence since then. Yes. Yeah. So I think that the general impression is that they've said the things to the media, which will keep, thing, keep, keep people quiet and not actually acted. And obviously, as yep. I said, I don't know inside out because I'm not one of them. But I think that's the general consensus. It's awful what's happened i really feel for the players and um the people involved who aren't the kind of um media management types you know the, the people yeah. who aren't covering anything up um i feel i really feel for anybody who is involved in the squad who is affected by this um and i really hope that uh come the world cup that they aren't too deeply affected by it because you always mm. want to see teams not not having things like this going on in the background it's it's awful it's awful enough as it is uh and until you think of the knock-on effect that it has it's an awful situation for scotland well i read you know they were talking to somebody from the uh, you know the scottish union and he, he i didn't envy his position because he's up in front of these questions that are going to be brutal and you know and somebody at some point somebody said well can you at least admit that the optics aren't good about this and he has to sit there and go well Yes, the optics aren't good, but we're not here to talk about optics. We're here to, uh, it was just, you know, yeah, it was a terrible moment. And I, but I'm just sad that we haven't heard anything since then, as far as I know, at least. Of course, of course. As I say, I just really hope it doesn't affect Scotland in the preparation of the World Cup. It's a, it's a big ask, obviously, because, you know, they've lost a friend. And from what I can tell, a great rugby player as well. Um, it, it can't be easy for anybody. Mm. So I, I can't believe I, I completely spaced. You you mentioned Wayne Smith, and I, I mm. had a follow up question that I completely skipped over. Um, as you said, uh, and in the the recent video for the the first preview that you did, um, Squidge talked a lot about how he could be one of the best, if not the best, coach in the world. Has he had enough time? Um, is that what could be the problem with the Black Ferns this year? They have the best coach in the world, but he hasn't, you know, been there very long because of as we all know, the controversial exit of the previous administration? Yeah, I think that it, it is quite hard to tell that um, how much time he does need to bed this into all these players. There is no doubting he has an extremely talented squad to work with. And yes. I think that talent plus Wayne Smith equals, you know, a World Cup challenging squad. Um, so from that perspective, I would say... He probably doesn't need that much time because he has such a talented squad on the core of it. But also, as you have alluded to, the squad have been through quite a lot. So yes. to make that step up could be extremely difficult for them. Um, yeah, time will tell. I think that judging by New Zealand's performances in the summer so far, you'd think they'd be all right. But 
I, I imagine that a lot of the stuff Wayne Smith is coaching into them is somewhere up his sleeve. Um, mm. it's, it's uh, uh, Ali Donnelly from Scrum Queens pointed this out on Twitter to me the other day, and suddenly it all made sense to me because famously the 2017 final started with England going in at half time uh, in the lead and looking really, really comfortable. And then the Black Ferns completely flipped their game plan on their head for something that they hadn't done kind of all World Cup cycle. And instead of kind of like hitting it up, they played extremely expansively uh, with like a really creative kicking game and so on. And that was it. They they stole the World Cup through doing that. And if anybody knows how to do something like that, it's Wayne <clears> Smith. <throat> so it's really hard to predict, but I would not write them off in any shape, way, shape or form because of the talent and the genius that is Smith. I always think that's one of the hallmarks of the best coaches in the world in any sport, really, is the ability to say, oh, you know what? It's halftime and my game plan completely didn't work. Let's throw it out and try something new. Yeah. And to be fair, like the ability to make it as far as a final and the second half of a final and then change it. Yeah. You know, you've got to have an extremely good squad for that to be the case, because you can imagine that a lot of squads will get into halftime of a random game in I don't know, a Six Nations or something, and think, right, now's the time to, you know, throw all our chips in. But to have a squad that can challenge to a final and then win purely on tactics, it's, it's the hallmark of a World Cup winning team, I suppose. And I say that about Wayne Smith. I imagine actually Simon Middleton for England has probably oh, okay. something up his sleeve that we haven't seen so far. I say that Ooh. not because I think he's that kind of coach necessarily, but just because I think generally he's prepared so meticulously perfectly for this world cup um from the way that he's given everybody experience given everybody opportunities to start over even the most world-class players in his squad um and starting people in different positions like in the warm-up against the usa he started claudia mcdonald usually a scrum off onto the wing she scored three tries in that game and it's like oh yeah you have a genuine option now um mm. i think that literally everything he has done from player management uh, and squad management has been spot on. So I can only imagine he hasn't played all of his cards yet. You know, it's funny. This is a, a, a total sidetrack here, but uh, mm. just a couple of days ago, I was really lucky to talk to Bernard Jackman. And one of the things that I was so surprised that he said, just I just never heard anyone say it before, is he basically said, being a coach is much harder than being a player. Because when you're a player, all you have to do is take care of yourself. You show mm. up ready and the plan's all laid out. All you have to do is apply yourself to the training Whereas when you're a coach, you never stop thinking about it. It consumes you day in and day out, and you always have to think of the next contingency. And once you think you've got these things covered, you automatically think of something else that you need to plan for and stuff. Uh, and you've coached and you – I think you currently coach and play. Do you think this – does that ring true for you? Yeah, I'd say so. That um, In a way, you know, if you've got a 23-man or woman squad, you've – then coaching is 23 times harder than playing in a way because you've got to think about every individual player and I, I, I do see it in that way and um, you know having watched Simon Middleton in the uh, that Where the Rose documentary it very much comes across that he has a genuinely great uh, empathy for all of the players in his squad really? um, yeah I, I get a really really good vibe from Simon Middleton um, and yeah he does and as I say the stuff like session planning and uh, identifying you know how to adapt how to change things problem solving there's all sorts of things that 
he'll have and granted he has a coaching team with him uh who 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 are an excellent coaching team at that um who will help him out with it but yeah it it certainly is a difficult job um and it's something that simon middleton is arguably the greatest coach i've ever seen at um that whole squad management thing interesting so getting to the knockout stages do me a favor. Can, can you please explain the format for the quarterfinals? What's the formula for getting eight teams out of out of three pools? <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? So, essentially, look, I'm still getting my head around it. If you win a pool, you're golden. If you're second if you in a pool... you have more left-handed players than the other team. <laughs> I think, basically, the top eight alphabetical teams go through yes. to the quarterfinals. <laughs> so Wales are screwed. Um <laughs> But no, we, we've think... got to get Zimbabwe in there to even win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I believe so. Three pools: the um, top two from each pool go through, which is six, and then I believe it's the two third place winners in in the pools. The two runners up, let's call them, with the highest points tally, and I don't okay. mean points tally on the pitch. I mean points tally in terms yeah, yeah, of yeah. on the table. On the table. Yeah. Um, I believe they are the eight quarterfinalists, but don't quote me on that. It could have changed in the last 24 hours. Who knows? I think it's still figuring <laughs> it out. It's such a confusing <laughs> format, as you say, to just, it's basically, if you're not one of the four worst teams in the competition, then you're through. <laughs> Maybe they'll do like a wrestling kind of thing where right when they're deciding, they'll be like, what? Do you hear the music? It's Namibia. They're taking the seventh spot. Yeah, yeah. If Spain go on and get to the semi-finals, don't be too surprised. Not in the <laughs> tournament, but um, how big is this tournament this year going to be for women's rugby? Are we at a, it? Because it feels like it to me. Are we at a turning point in terms of not just sort of popularity and profile, but I guess the word is, I guess, acceptance among people who have sort of been resistant to paying attention to this sport previously. Excuse me. Uh, I would say that this is this is the most excitement I've ever seen for any women's tournament, uh, whether it's the Six Nations or a World Cup, which is a brilliant thing. And um, I, th I think you're right. I think it probably is something of a turning point, you know, that we've got it, that it's on ITV over here. So it's you know, mainstream terrestrial television. Granted, it's on at 3 a.m., which probably um, <laughs> won't uh, convince too many people to get out of bed uh, in this part of the world. But I really, really do hope that from that perspective that uh, it does help boom women's rugby. Well, the ticket sales have seemingly been really good and it seems like they're going to get a lot better as the tournament goes on. Um, that's probably helped by the fact that they're doing three games in one day. But I think that if people have a day out where they've seen three games of rugby for a reasonable price, they'll want to stick around. And I think that's mm. going to be great for the game. And naturally in my head, I keep thinking ahead to uh, 2025, you know, World Cup in three years time in England, which is super exciting for me. But uh, I think that this is really going to be such a necessary tournament laying down the groundwork, meaning that we can have more successful tournaments in years to come. And as you say, this could be one of many turning points. So just in the most recent um, NPC competition in New Zealand, while the two leagues were happening at the same time, they were doing all these double headers where it was an FPC game followed by an NPC game in the same venue. It was awesome. And, you know, people get there earlier. They get to watch two games in a row, all really high quality. I thought that was brilliant. I'm wondering why more countries don't find a way to do that. 
Yeah, Look, I remember we had it over here. Uh, there was in the uh, World Rugby Under Twenties Championship was held in Manchester, oh. and we we went down to uh, a day of that where there was three games in a row, uh, and it was brilliant. Like we went wow. to the AJ Best Bell Stadium, um, and they had like stuff set up outside for kids to play around with a rugby ball and stuff, and like nice. target practice and stuff, which obviously me and Robbie joined in, uh, which was you know really good stuff. Um, and it was really, really engaging and great. And I hope that that kind of thing will be set up that they can, uh, it's to really, that they view this as an opportunity to maintain fans, you know, um, mm. to become advocates for women's rugby rather than just fans of it. it yeah. <laughs> I'm such a rugby fan that I even fall for the stupid gimmicky crap. Like on the, on the World Rugby website, they have all these little things where it's like, who can catch the highest ball? And they have a drone take a ball up, you know, into the stratosphere and then drop it on Liam Williams and see if he can catch it. I love that. I think everybody should be doing that. I love stuff like that. And like when they make players do like really silly challenges, uh, yeah. like how far can you kick a ball? Like, have you ever just put a ball on the tee and just seen how far do you reckon I can just send it? And just stuff like that. I'm I'm so yeah. here for challenges like that. I know. See that? I would love to see as like in between match stuff, just have little exhibitions, mm. silly skill sets, competitions. Anyway, um, Will, my friend, it's always such a treat to have you here. Before I let you go, I, I do need to corner you into giving us your predictions. Um, to begin with, which teams are not making the quarter, quarterfinal round? <laughs> You're right. It's so much easier to do it that way around, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So let's do this pool by pool. So, oh no, but pool A has Wales in it. So I've got to predict basically are Wales getting through or not. So, sorry. I, I'm quietly confident that we'll give Scotland a good game on Sunday. So okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bat myself. I'm going to say Wales will get through and Scotland unfortunately will not, but okay. I'm going to end up crying on a sofa on Sunday when that doesn't come true. <laughs> uh, and Scotland beat us. going to be really, that's, uh, that's a really difficult pool to predict. So, so sorry to interrupt. The, when uh, okay. In the lead up to the, the 2019 World Cup, I, uh, I had sort of made friends with this Welsh guy on one of the rugby forums. And so I was always chatting to him in the lead up and he was so excited. He, has, he had this specific whiskey he put aside for the, uh, the match against Fiji. And then Fiji came out and and I think went up 15 zip and Wales came back and won that match. But And I reached out to him later like, hey, what did you think? And he was like, uh, as soon as they got to 15, I just started hitting that whiskey and I didn't see the rest of the game. <laughs> it was over. So watch what you're drinking that <laughs> on Saturday. It's very early. I'm sure I'm sure I'll be all right. Um, I would say to skip ahead to pool C, I'm just trying to like eliminate in my head. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't see South Africa getting through. That's for certain. I oh. think I think they'll finish bottom of their pool. But then again, I'm sure they have there, a really good why game. Why is their sevens program so much better than their fifteens program? It's difficult, isn't it? I, I'm really not sure to be honest. I've I, I can't say I've seen much of their sevens team to be honest. And I, I'm still learning about their their fifteens team. It just seems hmm. seems like they've never really invested that much in their fifteens their fifteens women's team. That is interesting. Um, yeah, it's a real shame because. 
I'm sure that with a little bit of time and investment into it, they will end up with a, with a great team. I am, by the way, I'm a big fan of their fullback, Nadine Ruiz. She's a great player to look out for. Um, and I, so I'm really looking forward to South Africa against Fiji because they're both players, they're both teams with kind of quick players out wide who quite like to sort of, Fiji obviously like to offload a little bit more, um, mm. and, but South Africa can play, you know? So uh, I'm really excited for that game, which will ultimately decide who's probably bottom of that pool. Um, thinking about it, so I'm going to say Scotland, Fiji, South Africa, uh, and... Australia? Pan won't go through. Um, it's difficult, oh, yeah, to, okay. as I say, between Japan, Italy, and USA for because those three could basically finish in any order in that pool none of them yeah, switching yeah. canada uh but i think i think i can see usa doing a, a bit better they've got a really strong pack uh, a lot of players in uh who are playing for exeter in the premier 15s and got to the final they've got some great they've got like hope rogers who plays prop for them is fantastic Alive Alive kelter who plays in centers is uh she's at saracen sorry not exeter but she's a fantastic player played in 2017 um and was outstanding there has played both 15s and 7s she's got kate zachary as well as their, their captain and one of their best players uh if not their best player brilliant captain so i think that players like that will see usa through so i think they'll be all right so i'll say yeah japan won't qualify from that pool it's weird because i i don't think i've ever seen canada play that the women's team play i don't think i've ever seen them so the fact that they're ranked higher than the u.s it's like i'm just willfully not believing it because i have seen <laughs> us play and i've seen us be good and i'm like well we're we have to be better than them because i haven't seen them but you know <laughs> i've never seen the england women's team play i don't know what everyone's on about <laughs> <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll be totally honest i'm resisting watching that because i've heard it's such a great documentary and i just don't need to hear great things about england anymore yeah exactly <laughs> it's exactly. enough already um when you do get around to watching canada do look out for sophie de goody she's uh, okay. recently been appointed as the captain she plays number eight and she can kick goals from 40 meters um, what she's yeah she's really quick she's really strong uh i would say probably a natural leader we've talked about on I don't know if this, yeah, no, this is, this would have been in the video that's gone out today, actually. Um, so both of her parents have captained Canada at Rugby World Cups, oh. which is super exciting. That she also gets to do it. Um, that's got to be that's got to be a world first, right? Hmm. Both your parents captained your national team at a World Cup. Yeah, and it's now so is she, which is incredible. That's amazing. They, there's a massive. They have a massive rugby family. I believe she has two sisters, maybe a sister and a brother, who also play rugby at a decent standard. So, yeah, wow. it's in the blood in that family. So, that's those four. Um, mm. Who do you have for the semi-finals? Who's then not making it out of that quarter-final round? The, obviously, the difficulty is that. We don't know how the quarterfinals are going to line up because right. the whole the algorithm is so difficult. <laughs> but you have to say the four best play, the four best teams in the tournament are England, New Zealand, France, Canada. So they yeah. have to be the favourites. But you never know. You could see Australia cropping up out of nowhere and getting a big upset of some description because, as I say, they're quite an unknown quantity at this point. Um, Wales are building. Prob they're probably not there yet. They got a bit of a hammering from uh, Canada over the summer, so quite difficult to get past them. But 
yeah, I'd, I'd say that those are the four best teams in the world. And there's a couple more who will eventually knock on the door, but maybe it's a little bit too soon. So if you had to put all that cold, hard, scrum of the earth cash down on uh, the two teams that are seeing each other in the finals, are you going to say England and France? Are you going to say England and New Zealand? Or are you going to surprise us totally? Um, I'm definitely going to say England. I'll t- tell you that yeah. much. Uh, you're right. Well, I'm sorry. I'm France... sorry. I, have to, I have to throw up for a sec. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it would obviously be an extreme sporting upset if England didn't get to the final and certainly if they didn't win it. But the whole France v New Zealand thing is really interesting. I think that so I've been listening to a lot of kind of build up for this tournament as uh, time's gone on. World Cup fever, it's World Cup week. Naturally, I just want to get in as much content as I possibly can and be involved yep, yep. in it. But um, New Zealand seems to be the consensus because of A, huh. having arguably the most talented squad in the, the world and the Wayne Smith factor. Um, Wayne Smith and, being... and history is on their side. History certainly on their side. And I think that that, you know, you can't underestimate what a great factor that is. Um, and yeah, as I say, like you, you look at that New Zealand squad and, you know, you don't have to look any further than, you know, the Kendrick Cox surgery of the world, as you say. And like Stacey Flula is an absolutely fantastic player. Oh, yes. Um, who they've had playing in the centres, who, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, they've, they've got... A, oh, I'm also a massive fan of Ruby Tui. Uh, if you've not looked at her interviews, then please, please do go for it. Oh, um, I have not. Oh, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. Oh. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, they, they have they have such a brilliant squad um, that it's difficult to see past them. But France did beat them last year. So I can't... And granted, this was when they still had Glenmore. This was when um, okay. New Zealand were not in kind of... A very good place as it were so if ever the odds were stacked against the black ferns it was then so that would be honestly the dream rugby world cup semi-final would be france yeah. against new zealand because i anticipate two really evenly matched teams i can't dodge your question any longer so i'm going to say france oh so I'm just wondering how big is the home home field advantage for New Zealand? There's been months of lead up. They're building, you know, it's been, I, I love the sort of welcome home, welcome back, everybody. The, this whole vibe they put together around this tournament. I feel like they're just, I mean, is there such, such a thing as being too pumped up for it? Is the pressure going to be too big for them come the end? You know what? I didn't even consider that genuinely, but I don't think they'll put too much pressure on them. I think um, generally people will know that England are the best team in the tournament. And as far as I can tell, you know, I'm not from New Zealand, but as far as I can tell, New Zealand's attitude to rugby is you're either the winners or you're not. Um, <laughs> you know, and I imagine that will kind of be their, their approach coming to this. So I don't think they will actually put too much pressure on them. You're either the winner or the ref screwed you. Yes, yeah, that's also true. But I, I imagine, considering everything they've been through and so on, that the fact that this is essentially, it's bizarre to say it, a rebuilding team, um, I don't think the public will put a heap of pressure on New Zealand, but um, I imagine they'll get a great crowd if they did have a semi-final against France. I think that would be fantastic. But um, I'm, I'm justifying France more and more in my head after having said it, because... For me, they have, in the women's game, the most individual 
kicking game. Um, mm. that it's sort of kicking for chase and so on. Isn't something England do loads. They don't necessarily need to because they've got so many part of the games, parts of the game which are really fine-tuned. And it's not something the All Blacks especially do. So France are kind of the team that do that. And that's almost like the gap in the market in the Women's World mm. Cup because they're the one team who do it really, really well. So I could see them getting past a few quite evenly matched teams like, you know, Canada and New Zealand by playing that kind of game. And they've got like, the likes of like Laurie Sanzus, who is, oh, for my I money, love her. God, she's one of the best players in the world. Um, you know, if you had to ask me to pick between her and Marley Packer for who the best player in the world is, I would flip a coin. Mm. Who is the, who's Francis coach? That one I don't know. Um, Annick Hello. So she is, uh, terrifying, first and foremost. Um, <laughs> oh, no. wait, oh uh, yes, I saw her in the video, actually. The mo- yeah. Not the most recent now, but yeah, the one from earlier this week. Yeah. Sure, yeah, she, she, so she's fantastic. They've recently bumped up um, their, who was their assistant coach, whose name I've completely forgotten. Uh, I think he's Thomas something. Uh, I've completely gone blank on his name. Um, I can't remember, I'm afraid. I'll have to double-check yeah. this. But, yeah, so they've recently bumped up who was their assistant coach. Um, but, yeah, Anacolo... Inexplicably, is... it sounded like. Yes, yeah. Anacolo has done a fantastic job with them in the last few years. And honestly, she is somebody that I would not be too surprised if one day she got a job in the top 14 or something, uh, if she decided mm. to leave this French post. Not that I see any reason why she would. Um, right, right. But she's a except really if they fantastic. keep promoting assistance over her for some reason. That's true. That's true. <laughs> very, very difficult to to see why they've done that. But yeah. So, of course, you've got to give it to me. Is it the answer everyone expects? Is England the next Rugby World Cup champion? Yes. <laughs> ah! I will, yeah. I, in my mind, I find it really difficult to see past them. I think that they're probably there's hope the... though. There's hope though, right? Yeah. You never know, but you also kind of do. Um, it's hard to see past them. It's hard to see past them. Um, you know, it would be great to kind of entertain that. But then again, at the same time, it only takes one bad game for somebody to not win a World Cup. So that's true. Yeah, it takes one bad day. So, Will Owen, I loved this. Thank you again so much for coming on. It is always a blast. And it's always, frankly, just great to see you. Um, please, uh, before I let you go, give us some plugs for what you've got coming up. I know there's going to be more videos coming. Uh, what can you tell us to look forward to in the next few weeks? Yeah, so we're covering a lot of the the, the Rugby World Cup that we've just talked about. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to be doing a lot on that. I think that uh, a lot of it will depend on what results go what, what, what way uh, in terms of what games we're going to cover, of course, as always. But, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of that kind of stuff on the channel. Um, of course, as well, while I'm plugging that, um, I might as well say we've just finished the 1987 um, yes. tournament on the... Rebel I was going to mention Switch. this if you, if you didn't, yeah. Yes. Because you got something, something special coming up now that that's done. Indeed, yes. So on the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast, we finished the 1987 um, World Cup where we go through every single game one by one, do an episode on each or two episodes as we did on the final. Um Sometimes, but yeah, so we'll finish that. And next up, we're, so we're on Friday, we've got the Squidge Rugby draft going out, which I'm yes. super excited for everyone to hear. So the concept of that is that Robbie and I go one by one and each pick a player from either the 1987 or 2011 tournament, because that's who we've picked. And we, we, I think in that first episode, we picked 10 players uh, each. 
and we're just essentially trying to get a full dream team where we're going to do a full squad including coaching staff and physios and everything i love uh, that it's super super will, fun will there be anyone in like the top 15 who wears gloves while they play well that is yet to be decided i think that okay um We'll we'll see, but I really really hope so. I really hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah, so we've got that, and then we're doing the 2007 Rugby World Cup. And if ever there was a time when someone wears gloves, it'll be there or 2007, no 2003. So you'd you'd hope so that somebody will come up then if they don't haven't already. So yeah. Every now and then you see the like weird racing gloves, like the holes on the knuckles and stuff mm. too. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's it's so early 2000s. I know. Um, Oh, by the way, just out of personal curiosity, where are you going to be watching these games if, if it's three in the morning? Uh, so bars don't open for this, right? Like, <laughs> you, I, you don't have the option to go down to a pub if you wanted to. You're going to be on yeah. your couch, is that right? Um, it's, it's hard to believe if you read my analysis, but uh, I do all of my watching of rugby on my on my sofa, on my couch. Uh, I don't usually go to, to pubs to watch rugby. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of few people who watches rugby sober, unbelievably. Um, Interesting. So yeah, I, I'm going to be watching this rugby where I watch all of my rugby, which is exactly where I'm sat right now. Do you never go to games at all? You, you, you never go see matches in person? I try to. I try to. Um, obviously, so I live in Nottingham, which is quite an inconvenient place for a Wales supporter to go to games. I'm not too far yeah. from Leicester Tigers um, Stadium. Yeah. So when the Ospreys play there later on in the season, I might potentially I'm tempted to go down. But Oh, yeah. Um, the last, the last professional game I went to was Wales-Argentina last year, which, uh, if you ask me now, is a game that didn't happen. So, <laughs> yeah. It's maybe put me off going to rugby there. forever. Mm. <laughs> but no, I'm going to, the, I'm going to the World Cup next year. Um, going to 12 games in the World Cup next year, the Men's World Cup, which I'm super, super excited for in France. So, yeah, that's super exciting. Well, Will Owen, master of Sherwood Forest and beautiful human, thank you again for coming on the Scrum of the Earth today. I hope to catch up with you again very soon, and I just wish you all the fun in the world watching this next tournament. It's going to be awesome. Likewise, I'm looking forward to, you know, ha having the odd chat during the tournament, I'm sure, uh, as games are going on and over what's happening. Um, you know, odd remarks on Twitter are always welcome, uh, as well as uh, heckles and the lot uh, as time goes on. Uh, but no, thank if, you for having uh, me back on. If England lose, will you come back on just to gloat about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime England ever lose at anything for the rest of the time, um, people sign me up. Uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on. I've really, really enjoyed this. It's, um, it's great to talk about rugby that isn't played by men for once. So, yeah, I've loved it. Will, you're the best. I will talk to you soon. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Cheers. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed our latest bonus episode. I, for one, am properly fired up for this tournament to begin. Of course, today is Wednesday as I record this, and the first matches are on Saturday, and they're still not listed on Peacock's rugby page. Uh, okay, but they've done that before, so I'll try to have faith. Plus, they finally updated their rugby icon so it isn't an American football anymore, so, you know, baby steps. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe, Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.